The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a good football show. I am Patrick Darty, joined today by Mr. Denny Carter. We're going to take a spin through the latest NFL news, including Jarek McKinnon's return to Kansas City and the increasing chatter that Josh Jacobs could have his role scaled back in Vegas. We're also going to check in on Tony Pollard and Saquon Barkley receiving season and debate potential landing spots for Terry McLaurin. I don't know if we're actually going to do that or not. I mean, you're not going to get traded. We'll see. If we get around to it. For welcoming in and bearing the lead, Mr. Lawrence Jackson, for a series of what I have deemed pointless debates. <laughs> um, they are inspired by my Twitter poll the other day of who would you rather start in 2022, Drew Locke or Sam Darnold? So we're going to have ourselves a few pointless debates All right. here on June 14th. And boy, are they pointless. <laughs> uh, we're talking real, real pointless. Uh, but first, Denny, I've been doing a lot of airport traveling recently and uh i've been hearing you know a lot of like ambient not ambient you know like well it becomes ambient basically you know the kind of music they play in like airports yeah, sure. and grocery stores and in both lambert field and hartsfield jackson lambert field being in st louis hartsfield jackson being in atlanta last week i was connecting to birmingham i heard weezer's island in the sun <laughs> heard in the same day in two different airports and i'm like this has become one of like the quintessential muzak yeah. airport grocery store songs i was wondering what comes to mind for you when you think like grocery store music what do you think is like a signature music song you know speaking of that song that song was very popular when i was a senior in high school and, and it's huge well i mean weezer was like the biggest band in the history of the st louis suburbs oh, okay. and, like when they returned because you know, it was between 96 and 2001 they went without albums and like that's like an eternity in a yeah. teenager's life when they came back in 2001 oh, it was, it was essentially like no offense to Jesus, but it was basically like Jesus came back. And like one of the biggest events in the history of my suburb. Let's not get religious in this talk about, <laughs> about Weezer. But yeah, I think that was the Green Album, correct? It was the Green Album, yeah. the second self-titled album in three years. They've since gone on to produce 42 self-titled albums right. of color. And, they, and, and here's the thing about those. They've all been bad. They've all been hellaciously bad yes. and miserable rivers cuomo <laughs> seems to be like i think maybe conducting a cia experiment yeah to see like what fan bases will put up with like once they've become hardcore like well i mean surely it's gonna be the one that finally breaks the back <laughs> of this fan right? base but no never does every time i hear them i'm like who's this new boy band playing on on the the radio the local radio say oh it's weezer is it who hired an AI to write a Christmas song that they're releasing in July for some reason? <laughs> yeah, they, the CIA thing is actually spot on, I think. Okay, well, I, I don't have one that like jumps to mind, but I will say that this is, you know, uh, spans generations here that this this sense of like pop music and like cool music becoming music because my dad has told me many too many times about the time he got into an elevator sometime in like the mid to late eighties. And he heard Jimi Hendrix's purple haze playing. <laughs> and he thought, well, this, you know, when this came out and when he was, when he was a teenager, this was literally the devil's music. Like transgressive. Yeah. Like, like satanic cult music. What th this was it. And now it's playing 
in the elevator of an office building in suburban Maryland. It's just amazing. Yeah, I thought it was weird when I was in a Wells Fargo lobby and I heard Nirvana's territorial pissings. Uh, <laughs> Stop. You know, <laughs> like Mystic Man. <laughs> Things has changed so quickly. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, it, it is amazing, though. A lot of, lots of Elton John and Billy Joel. I feel oh, my like, God. You know. Can we talk about Billy Joel for a second? Sure. I mean, I'm sorry, but. He's the worst artist who's ever lived. Oh, like, not even close. Like, okay. Not even debatable. I'm supposed to hate him. Like, oh my like my, <laughs> my, no, listen, my, like my persona, like my idea that the nothing is, nothing is cool and everything is bad. I like Billy Joel. Oh, I, I can't, wow. if, if Billy this Joel. This actually comes, is cancelable offense. No, listen, if Billy Joel comes on in the car, that's the only time I will tell everyone in the car, you all need to shut up. For five minutes while I sing along to this Billy Joel song, I grew up on Billy Joel. It's it's stuck in my brain, and I I, I will never forsake Billy. I like the songs where he does like the slightly like clipped like punkier style. So not that punk would ever be a, like it's still rock and roll. Back Jack Scratch Cat Back Jack, <laughs> yeah, right. but it's still rock and roll to me. Oh, I love that song. God. That's horrible, but um, it's oh. better than some of his other songs. No, I know. I didn't like. I I don't like his '80s thing where he was doing like doo-wop from the '50s. It that that's awful. not that's not my deal. But before that, it was good. But I think the quintessential grocery store song is Dire Straits' Walk of Life. Oh my gosh! And if you want a song written in the 21st century, it's probably something like Rihanna, like. We found love in a hopeless place. That yeah. song, I think, featuring Calvin Harris. Well, that that Dire Straits song is actually good, though. Yeah, I mean that one's amazing. You got to give him props for that one. Right. Uh, Here come Johnny singing. <laughs> I want you to sing the whole thing. Are you ready? Going We're to. gonna start from yeah. the beginning. Uh, Adam, producer Adam, play the track. <laughs> oh dear, I was taking a drink of coffee. Sorry. You want to hear a really embarrassing pandemic story? Is it was a. Uh, Pretty late at night in the grocery store, I was masked up as one does during viral global outbreaks of like you know like a SARS type virus. And Walk of Life by Dire Straits did come on, and I was singing it out loud through my mask. And then of course <laughs> I came in like an aisle with someone else, but like, you know, maybe they didn't know it was me because I got my I've, mask on. Tell me, if, tell me if this is the case. I, I know what you're saying, but about having the mask and having some, you know ability to speak without others acknowledging it or hearing it seeing your mouth move looking crazy but uh <laughs> i tend to uh, curse to myself in the in the grocery store because no one can see me so i'll go into an aisle where i think the baked beans are and they won't be there and i and i'll say you know i'll say 15 curse words under my mask but i would never do that without the mask no i it's just so weird you mentioned that cuz i've done the exact same thing Am I like, like you ever think about moving like, like someone who's been, you know, just like has totally every right to be in that spot. And, you know, like this is I'm like whispering because um, I don't want them to hear. But yeah, I've, I noticed that too. Like definitely an increased in cursing because, you know, you can't, you can't see it. You can't, can't read my read. lips. And right. You can't, you can't read my lips looking, looking like I just gave up a home run in the, in the yeah. first inning. <laughs> like, <laughs> to, I, to like, the I'm not batter. the one that just called you. Uh, you know, every cur- it was this other it was this other guy with this cane over here. I mean, I don't, right? Well, it's, it's he's not wearing a mask, so you can. It's hear similar him. to when a pitcher puts his glove over his mouth yeah. and, and, and his nose, and you know that he's he's cursing a, a a blue streak, as the boomers would say. He's he's cursing so much. I mean, it, it is it's unspeakable what he's saying, and that, and that's the same with me when I can't find the damn beans. Yeah, that's one thing I'll miss about masks. Well, I, I'll be honest too. I've even I've. I've actually stopped masking even in the grocery store. It's kind of yeah. a losing battle. I'm still masking on the plane, by the way. Like my, I'm very judgmental about masking on the plane. Like, like I got sick. Like, do you guys want colds? Like, it doesn't have anything to do with cold. Like, to me, it's like a yeah. practice we should keep. Like, people, so I've been, I kind of fly kind of a lot, and I'm like, I'm like, I don't know about you, but like, yeah, I don't really feel like coughing for a week again after this flight for no reason. And I, I, uh, I welcome the masks on the plane. Listen, well before COVID. Okay, I got sick after literally every flight. That's not just you. That's the entire country. And and I remember I remember thinking like I have to build into my schedule the fact that I will not be feeling well forty eight hours for four, four 48 hours after this flight. Now don't get me wrong. I take the mask off for the entire twenty five minutes of having my Bischoff cookies and coffee. But I mean, <laughs> you can't get sick then. Everyone knows no. that. So no, no, of course. Um, anyways. Denny, the Raiders declined Josh Jacobs' fifth-year team option on April 29th 
and drafted his early down successor, Zamir White, uh, literally one day later. Raiders beat writers have been increasingly vehement in their reports that Jacobs' role could be scaled back this season. Denny, are we even going to get early down Jacobs value under new coach Josh McDaniels in the desert this season? Or are we like already past the beginning of the end with Josh Jacobs? And is there any point where this man becomes like a value in drafts? He's currently the RB 22 and underdog. I mean, I would think, I would think that there is a, a spot, I, I think for every player where they become appealing. And I would also think that Josh Jacobs has a, a good path, like a, like a foreseeable path to most of the early down work to start the season. I, I, I don't see him being supplanted right away. Now, the fact that he's not an explosive runner, like he, he hardly ever rips off long runs. I think he had two runs last year of more than 20 yards. And remember, this is a guy who for the for the final six or seven weeks of the season was like the bell cow for, for Vegas. But those runs were probably against the Chargers, by the way. Right, right. And and, you know, so he's he's never shown anything new coaching staff, even even John uh, John Gruden, who, who you know, supposedly loved the guy and always talked up you know, him, him as a, a bell cow and, and uh, giving him all the touches and all the targets and everything. Even John Gruden couldn't find a way to really utilize him in, in that fashion. So uh, I, I'm not drafting him at, at ADP. I think Zamir White as like a late, like a very late round bench stash is way more appealing. It, you know, beat writers have talked about how Zamir White really fits in with Josh McDaniel's running scheme. Uh, which is like no frills, simple stuff, up the middle, up the gut, and Zamir White does that well. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of one of those situations where, like the team itself and like the Raiders media is basically they're they're especially the team is you know, kind of trying to be polite about it. They're not like coming out and like trashing Josh Jacobs, obviously, but kind of in so many words saying like, yeah, like this is for real. Like we're we're moving on from Josh Jacobs after the season. We don't really know what his role is going to be this season and. You know, part of the reason Josh Jacobs doesn't rip explosive runs is because he's always like playing through some injury. It's like that's both good and bad that he like stays on the field, like he plays hurt, but mm-hmm. yeah, it totally limits his his long run last year was 28 yards, mm-hmm. and it was of course against the Chargers. And there you go. In week 18, <laughs> he had a long run of 28. So he went 17 weeks of the season where his long run was 21 yards. Yeah, on Thanksgiving, it's the Cowboys. Yeah, he gets I mean, if you look at, you know, like next next gen stats and everything, like everything about his advanced stats says that Josh Jacobs is a guy who will get what is blocked and nothing more. And I think Zemir White can be better than that if if slightly when and that's and that's good. That's fine if you're taking him in like the 15th round. We know we know how crude yards per catch is like totally kind of pointless stat, but. So like we've always wanted like a little more Josh Jacobs receiving usage. Only had 20 catches as a rookie. He averaged 8.3 yards per catch. That did go up to 33 as a sophomore, and then it dropped to 7.2 yards per catch. Last year he eclipses 50, catches 54 balls and 6.4 yards per catch. And generally, you want a running back to be around 8.0. It's kind of the cutoff for like a solid like if this running back is like actually worth his targets, it's kind of 8.0 and his like efficiency coming down as his usage increases as a runner too. Right. Um, yeah. It just seems like he's been trending in the wrong direction. We know Josh McDaniels likes the committees. They've literally drafted his replacement. Yeah. Yeah. Like Josh McDaniels loves third down back. I mean, there's no way like Josh Jacobs is going to catch over 50 balls again. I feel like no way, no um, way. With and... Kenyon Drake back and everything. No, it, that, that's, that's not. Yeah. The, the thing, yeah. We might just be overlooking that part of it where it's like, they got his replacement and that's usually a red flag. Yeah. Yeah. That's usually <laughs> a red flag when they uh, draft your replacement. Um, so not a good sign. And I, I'm kind of surprised like the sharp drafters on underdog are making him the RB 22. Wow. That seems like, bullish. Yeah. It seems very, very bullish. And you know, that's a sharp group, like we said. So it is, um, but yeah, I think that'll come down. And, and Josh Jacobs is just going to be trending in the wrong direction uh, all summer. Denny. Friend of the show, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, recently received more bad news when the Chiefs re-signed passing down back Jarek McKinnon. McKinnon, of course, ended up usurping CEH for some of the most important touches of the year during the playoffs last season. Danny, do you think McKinnon's return is kind of like about just insurance or about the Chiefs' like seemingly continued like 
like CEH, I don't even know what you'd call it, a re- replacement plan, yeah, like kind of like re- slowly replace everything he does with other backs. Like, is there any positive way to spin Jarek McKinnon's return to Kansas City for CEH or no? There is not. And I say this as a, a big fan of CEH, who was very nice to us at the Super Bowl. You know, McKinnon has some red flags. He has the, the injury history. He's entering his age 30 season. So, you know, you're not drafting him as a guy who's going to see you know, even 12 or 15 touches a game or anything close to that. But he was really effective as a pass catcher in, you know, what became like a short check down KC offense last year when they kind of when they had to make that shift in in offensive philosophy. And he he saw 48 touches in three postseason games for Kansas City. He was by far their most effective back in, in any way you want to measure it. So I. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty I'm excited I'm excited about getting I, I've been wondering what's taking so long I I've I've looked I've Googled Jarek McKinnon for two months thinking like is there something wrong here like is are other teams courting him or what no no without the answer was no he finally comes back I think that you know he's he's worth some serious consideration and I think he completely blows up Edward Zulaire's uh, prospects. Yeah, it's it's a bad sign I, I was like you too I was wondering why like what was taking so long it was probably like the Chiefs is like refusing to give him like fifty thousand more dollars or something. Like they finally <laughs> right. broke his back over fifty k or whatever. And like Jarek McKinnon, it's like I feel like it's the classic. Like I don't think he can really create value of his own because t- the guy was you know, almost literally never stayed healthy. But I think he really can cripple Ceh's value. And I guess value, of course, would be re- very relative term with Jarek McKinnon because. He's going to be like a late round freebie, maybe even just a waiver wire guy in redraft, like a final two round pick in best ball. Mm-hmm. And like, there's zero downside there. And yeah. Well, I, so like I said, like, it's going to be more about like the value he takes from CH, but yeah, he, he will create enough value. I feel like to be worth late round uh, freebies for sure. Yeah. And it just seems like the chief, like you, if you're a CH partisan, you know, seeing like the guy, who played better than CEH in the most important games of the year, re-signed in June. Yeah, there is no real positive way to spend that. It, you know, the Zoomers won't remember this, but Jarek McKinnon, before all the injuries and before he vanished from the scene for, I don't know, what was it, three years, was generational? I mean, was like, like I'm he talking was. about... You better believe it. As a prospect, you know, like off the charts in every measure in uh, every measurable way. And his his uh, production when given touches, you know, in Minnesota was unbelievable. And, you know, so he's fi- he's finally like seeing some some of this come to fruition. And you, you had to feel good for him last year when he emerged like he did. And I, I remember b- being very confident in like, this, this, let's say, uh, playing him in uh, DFS in, in the postseason because he was running so many routes. And I think the team you know, the team has to recognize how good he was, how effective he was as a pass catcher. Yeah, I'm sure there are people who drafted Jarek McKinnon as an inaugural rookie draft in 2014 and have kept him this entire time in their dynasty leagues because yeah. he is one of the, he's one of like the ultimate dynasty league dead enders. Like no matter what, like you don't give up on Jarek McKinnon. And yeah, this is his best situation in like a while because he arrived in Kansas City kind of mid-season last year. Yeah, and his usage didn't really pick up at all till the end of the season. I mean, he looked totally dead legged in 2020 with the 49ers. I'll say he did, but he, he looked even a little. Said it. Remember, remember yeah. Shanahan was like, "We, we, you know, he he can't handle this workload, so we're giving it to Jeff Wilson." Yeah, that's right. And one of the most concerning things about Ch, by the way, isn't necessarily that he hasn't taken the next step forward on early downs. Like we kind of never necessarily expected that. I mean, some people did. But I was like, wow, he's going to have to prove he can actually operate an early down. It is kind of more the way he's remained stuck in neutral as a pass catcher is what's really like hampering CEH and fantasy and real life. And like as this next step forward and like, yeah, this isn't again where the Raiders are kind of speaking actions louder than words. This is definitely like a very loud action from the Chiefs when it comes to CEH. And one more thing about McKinnon or or CEH or whoever gets that primary pass catching role out of the backfield you know, Andy Reid, in case you missed it, is really good at designing screens and getting running backs involved in the offense, putting them in good position uh, to succeed. So who, you know, we have to really keep an, keep an eye 
on that and, and pay attention to beat writers and what they're saying during uh, uh, Kansas City's training camp for sure. Yeah, the Chiefs backfield to me a really, really fascinating one during training camp because let's be, I mean, see, Ronald Jones does not have like early downs like salted away like at all. No, um, no. He's going to have to prove to an entirely new coaching staff yeah. that his reputation does not precede him. Yeah. And then he can actually pick up the blitz occasionally. He can actually not fumble occasionally. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Chiefs are not done adding to this backfield. And so it will be one of the backfields to watch this summer. Tony Pollard has joined the cavalcade of running backs, supposedly spending more time in the slot of late yeah. Denny. Pollard, of course, was already a featured pass catcher for the Cowboys, but do we think he can take a meaningful step forward? He caught a career-high 39 passes last season. Can he maybe get that up to over 50 in a skill core where there's kind of some targets for the taking? Or is Tony Pollard just kind of like the classic in the Duke Johnson zone? His role's already maxed out. Yeah. Is there actually a next step to take for Tony Pollard, Denny? The only next step is if Ezekiel Elliott misses time or if the which team he never ever does, which it never, and he never will. He's always he, hurt, but he never misses time. He's, like he's invincible. Trigger. It's not, it's that guy's, he has to be the toughest player in, in NFL history. <laughs> and, and uh, yeah, I mean, no, I don't think Pollard had, has anywhere to go except for Ezekiel Elliott missing time. Or if the team perhaps pulls the plug, I don't know. I mean, you know, if, if Zeke is again, underwhelming and underperforming again for the third straight year maybe the maybe mccarthy says okay like we can't do this again and you know so that but but you can't you can't bank on that especially if you look at how much they're paying him and especially if you look at what jerry jones says about him he talks about zeke elliott like he's still a 22 year old rookie you know ready to run for 2,000 yards as the centerpiece of the offense so no i i think that tony pollard's adp is a little bit weird he, he you know they said, you know, slot receiver, this and that. He ran 10% of his routes from the slot last year. I, I just, I don't, <laughs> he only ran 11 routes per game last year. He, I, I just don't, I don't see it. People do quite literally, not like the meme, do forget that he already was operating in the slot a little bit. And or it's not like it's like super new. And yeah, I mean, unless I mean, Jerry Jones talks about Ezekiel Elliott, like he's like his son. And but I don't know if Zeke does what he did last year again, because they really, I don't think they could keep that up for 17 games. I think they actually would have to pull the plug. You you would think you would really think I, I, I it's, it's so, it's so frustrating as like, as, as anyone who wants to see like efficient, sensible football, um, you know, it goes insane watching the Cowboys operate the way they do. So Pollard's ADP again, an underdog, which is kind of like, you know, like the psycho group. We're talking about like our Karains or Kyles out there, kind of like inflating things. And he's RB29. That's actually fairly reasonable, I feel like, for Pollard. Or do you think that's a little too high? Yeah, I guess. He's, he fine. was basically the RB29 just by feel last year. Right. I'm sure he was by points. Um, yeah, I think, I think that, it, I mean, it's not like horrible. I think to there's actually some it. upside that's not even baked into that ADP, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and and maybe Amari Cooper's absence opens up enough targets for him to be more involved as a pass catcher. I guess that that would be the optimistic view. But I I also think it depends on the kind of team that you that you're building. You know, can you can you like wait wait on it? You know, can you draft a team where you can wait on Pollard, or are you going to yeah. have to use him as your RB two? Yeah, I don't know. That's true. You can't really like wait on him. That is a good point. I do think that he has some untapped upside. I mean, I don't see any reason this guy can't get to 50 receptions. Like he kind of like screams out 50 catch back Tony Pollard. And I think he needs to add 11 receptions to last year's total. I think that's pretty doable. Yeah. So, yeah. Tony Pollard, I would say there's actually a little bit of light at the end. Of, there's, there's more juice to ring out of that orange basically i have uh i have a stat real quick just to show you the discrepancy and i and i'm not the first one to do this i understand but in 2021 tony pollard uh had the fifth highest rush yards over expected per attempt did you catch that i did it actually did makes that? sense too despite being like sounding like you're reading like the subhead on some government committee report that was worked on for five years and meant to sound yeah. as anodyne as possible. Right. That, and, and that, that comes straight from the January 6th commission and <laughs> Ezekiel Elliott, meanwhile, was, you know, among the least efficient in this rush yards over expected. He was down in the 
in the David Montgomery range. And I'm sorry to report that to you. Yikes. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Pollard, Pollard deserves a chance. I think I can speak for all fantasy managers when I say that. Yeah, speaking of congressional committees, by the way, we NBC, we have finally gotten the labor subcommittee to take a look at your employment status and bipartisan, both Republicans and Democrats have promised to investigate and get to the bottom of how you remain employed and how our lawyers have not been able to crack the code. We'll, we'll see about after the midterms, how that yeah. goes. And, okay. uh, yeah, true. And <laughs> I've been, they've been told you cannot wear shorts to Congress, by the way. Wow. wow. You're wearing a short suit today. We are informed before the show. I am. And, I'm wearing, uh, I'm wearing a, I don't, I don't know if, folks can see this or whatever, but I, I am wearing my, my pride, uh, uh, suit jacket and, and the shorts that go along with it. It's very sharp, but you'll be loaded into the paddy wagon. If you show yeah. up in Congress wearing short what can suits. You do? Yeah. What can you do? Never owned. We're getting close to welcoming in Lauren. We're just going to skip Terry McLaurin talk about, he's not going to get traded. I mean, it's kind of no. what to talk about. <laughs> so we're just going to skip that one, but real quick elsewhere in the NFC, Saquon Barkley has apparently graduated from lining up as a mere pass catcher, Denny to weapon status. He is right. now becoming an offensive weapon. In the words of beat reporter Ralph Vacchiano, I can't pronounce your last name, Ralph. I've been citing you for years, and I just have no idea how to say V-A-C-C-H-I-A-N-O. Vacchiano. I think it's Vacchiano. But Ralph says, when the huddle breaks at Giants practice, there's no telling which direction Saquon Barkley will be headed anymore. One play, he's a running back. The next, he's a slot receiver. Then he will split out wide or maybe go in motion from wherever he starts. Denny, how excited should we be this time? Should we, should we let ourselves get excited this time, basically, on Saquon? Does this time it count? <laughs> yes. I, I wanted that, I wanted that uh, sentence to keep going. Uh, you know, sometimes he'll split out in the slot, in the backfield. Sometimes he'll literally be the football. Sometimes he's, just, he's become a, he's the franchise quarterback. Right. Um, you, d you don't know. He's just a weapon. That's what they call Kadarius Tony. It's true. It, it, they got it, a lot of weapons order. around that team. Weapon. You should look into that. Weapon. That He's dangerous. a weapon. I think it's good. I think it's good. I, I'm I'm in. I'm in on the Barkley resurgence. I think he got, I don't think I, he got, I know he got incredibly unlucky last year, having fully recovered from his 2020 knee injury. He then rolls his ankle, is never the same. He's stuck in this horrendous, backward, prehistoric Joe Judge offense, Jason Garrett offense. So, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm in as a third, as a third rounder. If I can start my draft with either two receivers or a receiver and a tight end, and then Barkley, I like it. I'm in. Yeah, I mean, I think you should be fully in on the Barkley assigns because I mean, it just makes we know like his truly special trait as a running back is his pass catching ability. Uh, we know he's got a huge coaching upgrade. Brian Dable, one of the most aggressive play callers in the league. I was willing to abandon the run, but you know, keep his running backs involved as pass catchers. Kind of like it all like clicks together. And Saquon's injury, yeah, you know, wasn't about the ACL last year. It was about the the fluke. I mean, ankle injury where he stepped on a dude between right. plays, and you know that tends to happen to certain kind of players. I will say, like, it seems to find injury prone <laughs> type of guys, like where like Zeke Elliott would never just like step on a guy's foot. Never. And if he did, then he would just play through it for two years before right. finally admitting he can't walk and needs surgery. But yeah, Saquon, I it just makes it's an easy dot connecting uh situation because it all just makes so much sense. And I think we can really, really buy the increased passing game usage and hopefully uh increased efficiency on early downs, Denny. So yeah, I, I sign off on and all any and all Saquon Barkley hype. Yeah, he, he's, you know, when he was at full health, he was an excellent pass catcher who, importantly, commanded targets on the routes that he ran. You know, like we can we can look into all, you know, all these different scheme related uh, issues and factors. But if a guy if a running back is not command or anybody, really, if if guy's not commanding targets on the routes he runs, then it's kind of, you know, a, 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 it's kind of void, you know, but. For him, you know, he has proven that ability. I think that's important. We will be right back after this with Mr. Lawrence Jackson. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. 
Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just a reminder, if you don't have the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet, you go download it now. The contests are free and easy to play, and you have a shot to win thousands by predicting what will happen in the NBA Finals, on the PGA Tour, and on the NASCAR circuit. We also have a special contest on Tuesday and Thursday called Battle of the Bets, where you can agree or disagree with our experts for a shot to collect some cash. We would now like to welcome in Mr. Lawrence Jackson, who I believe has been on Battle of the Bets. Lawrence, you're coming in for a series of pointless debates. I told Denny the idea was inspired by my recent Twitter poll of Sam Darnold versus Drew Locke, which Drew Locke won, by the way. Wow. Um, but first, Lawrence, how are we doing? I know you're somehow a Tampa Bay Lightning fan, and I'm just going to ask yeah, you yeah, if you're I, excited for the Stanley yeah, Cup. I, I, I roll with winners. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't first off. Uh, I didn't know we were supposed to come dressed up like '90s WWE wrestlers. <laughs> I would have dressed up like Papa Shango or something. <laughs> Sorry, you didn't get the email. Dang, man. Yeah. I don't know who that is, but Papa Shango sounds like someone of like, I tweeted a picture. I'm like, anybody else remember this guy? It would get like a thousand retweets. Do you know who the Godfather is? I don't know who that is. Yeah, he was like six different characters in, in wrestling. I'm so and glad. Then, can I just say, I'm so glad that Pat got his obligatory Jay Leno uh, reference in here. <laughs> I thought I thought we were going to get through the show without it, but but we got it. We got it, folks. No, we got it. Uh, we nailed it. And by the way, so I was in Alabama last week at our magazine publisher with Mr. Ed Williams and Raymond Summerlin. And just to say, the Leno voice was a constant presence. Oh, uh, <laughs> a constant sure. Anyone here? If you guys following this, we got everybody. We got to get Jay Leno on here with his son Daniel Jones. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> his son Daniel Jones, who he's never once allowed to touch any of his classic cars, because Jay just knows Daniel will wreck it immediately. And <laughs> you're a disappointment to this family, Daniel. And, uh, we're sorry, but you'll never be as good as your father, Daniel Jay Leno. Ooh, wow. Yeah, Anyways, it. pointless debates here. One, so like a few of these would be a little more real, but like. One already, I don't know how to settle. And it's pointless because it's totally arbitrary. But Devontae Adams on a new team, Las Vegas Raiders, Tyreek Hill on a new team, Miami Dolphins, both like clear downgrades of their quarterbacks. Like no offense to Derek Carr and Tua Tagovailoa. I know uh, Lawrence likes himself some Tua. But I mean, they're leaving like all-time good situations for not bad situations, but just not as good as their previous spots. And Lawrence, I just don't... I'll start with you. Who would you prioritize in drafts this summer, Devontae Adams or Tyreek Hill? Who do you think is a better shot of like maintaining their past production in their new home? Devontae Adams. And and, and like you said, it's coming from a guy who I'm on to a hardcore. So, it, you know, I, I still got Devontae Adams as a, a top five fantasy wide receiver. At, at this point, Derek Carr's a, you know, he's a better quarterback than Tua. He's proven more. You know, you still got to get the kinks out down there in Miami. We got to see what's what. I mean, you got to see what happens in Las Vegas, too. But you know Devontae Adams has uh, elite seasons under his belt with his good quarterback. So does Tyree Hill. But Tua less, being less proven than Derek Carr. I would have to go with uh, Devontae Adams, not by a large margin. And that's why, for me, it would be a pointless debate. Because it's not like <laughs> I'll be mad if I have 
it ain't like I'd be mad if I have Tyreek. And like you say, they both coming from like not good quarterbacks, great all time great quarterbacks. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, yeah, I'll take Devontae Adams. But if you give me Tyreek a, a couple of picks later or the next round later, rather, I'm not going to cry about it. So, yeah, D- Denny, I, Lawrence, I feel like kind of like hinted at like, I think Devontae Adams' floor is he's going to have resemble more of his past. We don't know if either one of them can reach their ceiling. I feel like Devontae's floor will still be pretty intact. We talked about the quarterbacks, I mean, they're both going to, in theory, like very creative play callers and Josh McDaniels. Uh, in Las Vegas and Mike McDaniel in Miami. I mean, does that factor into you all? Like, do you think, how do you think Mike McDaniel is going to use Tyreek Hill? And again, who would you prioritize, Tyreek or Devontae? Devontae by a little bit. I'll say this about the Tyreek thing is, is uh, I know they're, they're paying him a tremendous amount of money and he's the centerpiece of their offense in, you know, in a lot of ways, but Jalen Waddle was so, good and effective and productive yeah. on those short receptions and as the intermediate pass catcher in the Miami offense that I just I struggle to see like Tyreek Hill taking over that role and the and the deep role right for for, for the Dolphins so I, I I just I just think that Tyreek is going to have like spiked weeks of course because he's uh, you know the fast guy in the NFL and and a, and a big play machine I, I do think that the consistency could be a little bit maddening. Also, the fact that I think the Dolphins, you know, uh, uh, you know, McDaniel has said, you know, we're going to operate similar to the 49ers. And if that's true, then we're talking about a lot of running and a lot of conservative play. So I, I, I think that that's also a knock on Tyreek. That's actually a pretty interesting point about the, because like about the Dolphins and Tyreek and his potential underneath usage. We really took on a lot more yeah. underneath usage with the Chiefs last year. I mean, some would say like frustratingly more. Like we, Tyreek needs more opportunities now, which Tyreek seemed very upset about, by the way. Recent comments was basically like, they weren't letting me be me. So maybe he was. Which is, that, that's weird. That was weird. <laughs> uh, like, Woody got 150 some targets. Yeah, it was weird. It like Hollywood Brown said the same thing. Yeah, and they were giving him like room to like make play. In theory, Tyreek should be the kind of guy who could like take a slant and go to the house like Odell Beckham in his prime. But. Yeah, I feel like Tyreek is going to be utilized more like his traditional downfield role. It could become like highly volatile. I mean, he was even in his best of Chiefs days, like his 1500 yard seasons, he was volatile, but that was with, always with weak winning upside with Patrick. I feel like the floor could creep like a lot lower in Miami, where he could have some like two catch, like 28 yard type of games if none of the downfield bombs hit. And you have those. Yeah, I just feel like it's three for three for me too on Devontae, just because. If we're talking about like the four, the four like outcomes for Devontae and Tyreek, Devontae floor, Devontae ceiling, Tyreek floor, Tyreek ceiling. I have the most faith still in Devontae's floor. Like Devontae Adams will get his floor. I can no matter what, I have like at least twelve hundred yards, yeah. like ten or eleven touchdowns. Any final thoughts, Lawrence, on the pointless debate, or should we move on to number two? Yeah, we can move on number two. It's getting more. Well, this one's a little less pointless than the other two, but I for some reason the other day was thinking like, would I rather have Michael Thomas? or Allen Robinson, like two former fantasy greats returning from like very like weird seasons. In Michael Thomas's case, multiple seasons. But we have Allen Robert, Allen Roberts, Allen Robinson out of the Matt Nagy, Nagy, I can't, Matt Nagy desert. Finally, a much improved offensive situation with Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay. Or like we want to bet on Michael Thomas and – who the last time he was healthy literally set the all-time receptions record. And I don't even know why I was just like thinking about these two the other day. Like who would you prioritize? I'll start with you, Denny. Is there any daylight between Michael Thomas and Allen Robinson? It's, it's hard to like definitively talk about Michael Thomas's prospects because, you know, he's still, he's still recovering. He's still hurt and he's not participating in this and that. And like, he'll be ready for training camp supposedly, but he's supposed to be ready for everything. You know, it's yeah. like, you know, we, the, these mile markers come and go. Oh, he's ready. He's going to be ready for OTAs, mini camp, training camp. You know, oh, yes, definitely week one. I, I, I have I think I have to see it like I have to see some progress in him coming back to the field and and being at full health. <laughs> I guess I, I, I have I'd have to go with Alan Alan Robinson right now because, you know, that, that number two role for, in the Rams offense is really valuable. And we saw that with with OBJ. Last year, this can be and was for for the second half of last year, 
a, a, a condensed, concentrated Rams passing attack where it was either Cooper Cup or OBJ, maybe a little bit of Van Jefferson down the field, but not much else. And I think Tyler Higby managers could uh, attest to that. And, and uh, you know, so so I think that Robinson can, you know, get back on track and um, he's in a, an aggressive offense, an offense that throws the ball a lot in the red zone. And supposedly, according to Rams beat writers, he's supposed to take on kind of a primary red zone role with Cooper Cup there. I don't know. I don't know if that's if that's a, a realistic thing. But I'll, I'll go with Robinson over Thomas. Lawrence, I feel like these are kind of players a lot of times you like in drafts too. I feel like you like the target Sometimes the bounce back types, maybe like disrespected veterans. So I thought this would be a really interesting question for you. And where are you leaning with Michael Thomas and Allen Robinson? Yeah. Well, both of these guys is actually, you know, disrespected veterans trying to get back on their feet. In fact, the only reason we really got these two, Allen Robinson and Michael Thomas, in the same sentence is because we don't know what's the deal with Michael Thomas. Tomorrow, if they say, you know, he's ready to go for training camp, then this is Michael Thomas by a, a landslide. So if I'm drafting, you know, in mid-August, I would hope there's some more clarity there because they have around the same ADP. Um, if I'm drafting in mid-August, I'm going to just take Michael Thomas simply because of, you know, where like his role on his specific team, it, it it's hard to do that. But like, like, if, if you just get a healthy Michael Thomas in August, like he's the, he the man right there. Allen Robinson, uh, he'll have value too. Just like Denny said, what OBJ did was great. And I feel like Allen Robinson could do that or even better. But I'm thinking like more towards like when most drafts happen uh, for redraft, I would say Michael Thomas I don't feel great about it, but I'm still saying it. And I don't even know if I'm depend. I'm sorry. I don't even know if I'm defending the disrespect of veteran. I'm just taking him based on the season he had eight years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it has been. He hasn't played since 2014. People forget that about Michael Thomas. We caught 173 passes from Drew Brees. And the Saints won the Super Bowl that year, I believe. Don't look it up. Don't, don't look it up. No. Yeah, don't look it up. But I, yeah, Lawrence just hit at there. I mean, like, there's a lot of variables with both these guys, but there's no variable like Michael Thomas's health, where it's just become one of the biggest wild cards in the entire NFL. And Allen Robinson, I just feel like there's a lot of variables there, but like, there's more like his kind of variables are like the untapped upside type of variables, like uh, going to a way better quarterback, going to a way better coach, like by far the best coach and quarterback he's ever had. A role that we saw yeah, instantly revive a player in a similar career situation last year in Odell Beckham. Like a quarterback, they'll actually like take those tight window shots to Allen Robinson. You know, he's a guy, he's not going to be separating like by huge margins at this point in his career, but he's always dominated one-on-one -on -one in those contested catch situations. And there's just so much. Un I like uh, his variables a lot more than Michael Thomas, who, you know, Sean Payton, his two like protectors are gone. Drew Brees and Sean Payton, the two guys that Michael right. Thomas made history with, they're gone. And it's been so long since we've seen him play football. And where I had him ranked higher, like all, all spring, Michael Thomas, this latest like health, we're like, they're basically saying, yeah, I mean, he's going to practice at some point, maybe. Right. Uh, I think I'm officially going, moving to prioritizing Allen Robinson in drafts. Yeah, me too. I'm flipping. I'm with yeah, you. Yeah, it's time to flip. Um, we were before for him before we were against him. Oh, I I will say that the addition of Chris Olave to the receivers room is probably significant for for Thomas and for for the team in general. I mean, you know, Chris Olave, like all he's ever done is command targets and produce when when getting the targets. Michael Thomas has never really had much target competition, if if any, really, in the, in that New Orleans offense outside of Alvin Kamara. No, it was always dudes like the three of us, like five. I, Denny's actually kind of taller than you expect. We're all like five nine, five ten yeah. type dudes. And Mike Thomas, like, get out of the way. Like, I'm going to just get a 200 targets, and if you even look at me. Uh, I'll just punch you in practice. Right, right. Like that kind of situation. The, and there, there's also Jarvis Landry in the slot. And all Jarvis Landry's ever done 
is get 150 targets. Like that's it's just his game. Oh, man, so I keep forgetting about Jarvis. I mean, Landry. I I don't know, man. I I feel like uh, the uh, Michael Thomas ADP is a little bit of a time bomb. It, it, yeah, it, like it's it, you know it's a much more certain situation that like Allen Robinson going into something that's ready made. Mm-hmm. Michael Thomas ain't played with Jameis Winston, Sean Payton. He out. Uh-huh. Like you said, it was Traquan Smith and whoever else uh, as his uh you know the receivers behind him. Yeah. It's just a lot of uncertainty right there, and you know Drew Brees would. You know, with the, you know, he 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 got a, a limit on where he throws, so that worked out well for Michael Thomas. You know, they like to call him Slant Boy. I won't call him that, but that's what they that. did. I ain't gonna call that man. <laughs> but you know, it fit perfect. You, James Winston, you know, he's still risking it for the biscuit, like he was with Bruce Arians. So it's just, I'm with y'all now, man. See, I could be convinced. There you go. I'm stubborn. I can be convinced. I'm I'm going right on over there to LA Rams with y'all. That's yeah, what makes that me is, a good fantasy manager. Lawrence, you just really mm-hmm. highlighted where, like, in theory, you'd think the guy who's on the team that he's always been on would have fewer question marks. But I just do, I think there are genuinely more question marks for Allen Rapp. It's a like totally different brain trust in New Orleans. And there's a time he want to be on the team, yeah. he said. You know? yeah. So, you know. Boy, Jarvis Landry and Michael Thomas in the same receiver core, by the way. I mean, you were talking about like two like big personalities. Like Jarvis Landry is one of the most intense players yeah. in the entire NFL. Like those guys fighting for targets. There's, with like the rookie, a young first round rookie. It's gonna be interesting. The the, the analytics say there's a 100 percent chance Jarvis Landry fights Michael Thomas on the sideline in a regular season game. Yeah, well, he's already gotten in a fight. What's the, the is it Michael Gardner Johnson? What's the guy's Yeah, name? that's the guy Steve? who's always he's but he's oh, Chauncey Gardner Johnson. He fights yeah. CJ Gardner Johnson. I mean, he usually is fighting people on the other team, but he has fought Michael Thomas in the past. And uh well beat beat writer said that Jarvis Landry is the most intense player they've ever seen on a practice field. Yeah, like he will uh, be, he's probably already fought CJ Gardner. <laughs> right. Maybe Six established dominance. He, he more of a leader too than Michael Thomas. Like not even close. He That's is. a good point. Boy, by the time Michael Thomas come back, everybody gonna be following Jarvis Landry Lee. Well, like most of the Saints, I won't even know who he is. Like I <laughs> saw this guy on like right. NFL Network one time, like in a like a you know, like a retrospective on the 2004 season. Where Michael Thomas set the NFL single season receptions record, um, but yeah, they don't even know who he is. Forty eight year old Michael Thomas, who has not played <laughs> since two thousand six. Uh, anyways, don't look uh, it up that, again. We're, we're getting into like the real bottom of the barrel here, but I, I feel like this is a worthy question too. There's no real fantasy relevance to this question, but would you rather have your team get Baker Mayfield or Jimmy Garoppolo? Lawrence, we'll start with you. It sounds like the Panthers are maybe finally getting close to acquiring Baker Mayfield. Would you rather have Baker Mayfield? If you had to choose, would you rather have Baker Mayfield or Jimmy Garoppolo for 2022? You want to talk about tough. You want to talk about (laughs) this is tough because I think, you know, in between the ears, I'm going to pick Jimmy because just because of that, the thing that Baker got going for him is he's younger. You know, he's played well. He's proven that he could play well, but he's he's also proven otherwise too. And then there's, you know, how is he going to respond to the, you know, the criticism and what have you. You got Jimmy G who, you know, they drafted Trey Lance, number three overall. He said, all right, cool. Let's just go to the NSC championship again, you know. And he is nothing perfect about him but I think he's still wanted as a starting quarterback in the league and he should be same for Baker so when it really come down to it you know Jimmy a little older but I take Jimmy knowing that you know he he better in between the ears any more handsome so I'll take Jimmy G over Baker Mayfield. That's for sure. Hey, Baker's uh, a little underrated for his handsomeness. He can go Mayfield. If you put him next to Jimmy G, mm. he's yeah, you, you can't do that. You put you put pretty much anybody next to Jimmy G and they can't hold a candle. I mean, yeah, that guy's yeah, insanely good looking. I saw him on that uh subway commercial, it's and I'm like commercial. I'm like, come on, come on, you can't 
you can't be an, an, an elite athlete and the most handsome dude on earth. You, you know, pick one or the other. Stay Jimmy, in your stop, lane. Stop, stop, stop dithering though. Yeah. You're trying to, you're filibustering. So you don't want to answer this extremely difficult question. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to keep going for the next 37 minutes. <laughs> Jimmy G's looks. All right. No, I'm, I'm taking Baker because here, here's the thing. Assuming that Baker can get back to his 2020 form where he was a solid game manager type in the Cleveland offense and, you know, not having two, two torn labrums. However, is I don't even know how that's possible, but too many labrums were torn last year. I would, I would try to tear fewer labrums <laughs> this year if I were him. And, and uh, you know, so if he can get back to that 2020 form, I think that he's better because I think Jimmy Garoppolo is the ultimate system quarterback. And I mean, like, he can't yeah. do anything outside of the Actually. perfect passing system, which Kyle Shanahan installed the perfect passing system for a guy who can make accurate intermediate throws to Debo Samuel or George Kittle, and then they can do the rest. He can't do anything else. He's not that mobile. He can't throw downfield. He can't improvise. Jimmy Garoppolo can't do anything outside of what is given to him. Uh, so, so if he goes, say, if he goes to Carolina, he will be a disaster. Jimmy Garoppolo, if he went to Carolina, would not start more than like six games. I guarantee you, because he he can't he can't function in an imperfect system. And I would call the Panthers' offense imperfect. So uh, I, I think I think it's Mayfield. Yeah, a guy who struggled under Kyle Shanahan going to Ben McAdoo, oh, who was oh. kind of maybe underrated for his work in New York. But yikes! And I'm just gonna go Baker just because. I don't think there's much more of a step for Baker Mayfield to take, but I do feel like we probably have not seen Baker Mayfield's best football as an NFL player. Like he has probably one better season in the tank than he had in 2020, like where he could be like a pretty useful game manager. Like, like, whereas Jimmy G man, like, yeah, if you're falling apart under Kyle Shanahan, like I just don't really know. I mean, look what what happened every time the 49ers had to, face negative game scripts and had to come back and had to get outside of their offensive comfort zone last year. Garoppolo, every time he dropped back, you're thinking this is a pick six. This is a backbreaking pick six. And he almost threw, I don't know, four of those against the Packers in that, in that game that they ended up winning. I don't know. He, he was trying to get in that game, but then, then they won. But this is the thing about Jimmy. He might throw that pick six. <laughs> he might, he, he hand the ball off. Good. He does. You can't, not that you can't in the handoff game is on a hundred. <laughs> if he throw that pick six, uh, that 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 presser afterwards, yeah. he's gonna be cool. He like you know I played bad. This, oh yeah, this, that whatever. No no, they're gonna be blaming the fans. No, no. <laughs> Being quiet, he gonna be some our receiver got to get open. Yep. He'll be yep. blaming yeah, like Robbie Anderson's dad. So basically, I'm 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 going for the you know what's gonna help my mental health more <laughs> rather because you you you're right you're gonna get more on the field from bigger. I, that's not a question. Definitely more athletic, but I, I'm just going for what's gonna make me sleep better at <laughs> night. Garoppolo has always, you know, taken the brunt of. He explains the hell out of a pick six. Yeah, he, he does he does and and injuries like when he get, he got hurt last year like he was breaking down in tears in his press conference like that guy really cares i think that he's a great well, he will also actually sit when he's hurt i think people complain like about he was like a little too willing to sit sometimes which you know so <laughs> of course whereas like is it, we've already established baker like is like playing like on crutches and it's which, like just getting like hyena sacked by the Watt brothers while he's on crutches. And it's like, wow, this doesn't seem ideal. It's an approach that cost him $25 million. Yeah. <laughs> I give Baker his due, though. I mean, playing play hurt is tough for any football player. And he has been quiet for the past few months. He, he ain't been saying no. nothing, which is not – that's not usual for him. So I can appreciate him just, you know, staying back, seeing what happens, and then, you know – Maybe he'll get down there to the Panthers and uh, make CMC that RB1 overall. Yeah, he's finally put his phone on trade me mode and where he's just not allowing to himself to tweet or text or anything. And it's the phone is on the new new from Apple this summer trade me mode where it doesn't allow Great. you to use your phone. Yeah, I, I will say that there was a there was a funny theory floated last week on the ESPN Plus where someone I forget who the writer was, but they said, if if Mayfield wants to be traded, he go, he should go to minicamp and just show up and be like, "Hey guys," 
and the Browns will be so deeply uncomfortable that they'll, they will call anybody and be like, we will we'll, <laughs> listen, we'll eat the money. The He's here. He's here in the facility with his teammates. No one likes him. We'll eat the 25 million. <laughs> it, it, we were shipping them to you tomorrow. Just start taking reps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Just like start really working on his chemistry with Harrison Bryant and get that ready to go for the season. The final and most pointless debate by far is, of course, uh, the aforementioned Sam Darnold versus Drew Locke. And it might be a moot point soon because Sam Darnold might lose uh, his job to Baker Mayfield. It was actually inspired, by the way, by Chris Sims' quarterback rankings, which are really interesting. Like, he's the class, like, Chris will have a lot of rankings. I don't know, Chris. Uh -huh. I feel like Chris Sims is kind of the ultimate. Like, uh, before the season, I'll have a rank that looks like really bad. And then after the season, it like ends up being right. Um, which is what happens when you follow your heart in rankings. So Chris always has really like thought-provoking quarterback rankings, but he had Sam Darnold ahead of Drew Locke. And I was like, I don't know, man. And I think I would prefer Drew Locke, but am I on an island with this? Uh, I feel like there's still like a little untapped upside with Drew Locke. I mean, even if it's like 1% and there's none with Sam Darnold. But I don't know, Lawrence, what do you think? Why well, I got to go first. <laughs> yeah, sorry. No, Denny. Uh, Denny. Uh, no. <laughs> you know – We've seen a lot more of Sam Darnold. We've seen him, a, you know, a season now, and he done been benched. But then again, Drew Locke, we haven't seen as much of him, but that's because he keeps losing starting jobs to Teddy Bridgewater, and he about to lose it to oh, Geno. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't – man, I'm picking Sam Darnold just because the fact that we yeah. even seen reports that – Gino competing with him and is uh, winning the competition. I'm picking Sam Darnold because Sam Darnold was at least decent enough for them not to immediately bring back Cam Newton, which that ain't saying nothing great either. But I'm gonna just go with Sam Darnold, better arm talent. I, yeah, I don't how 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 much further did Sam Darnold have? him did he have him over drew lock i think four or five spots i think he had drew lock 40th and he had sam darnold like 35th so it wasn't like Dang, he had like sam darnold in the top 32 or anything like that um, i think drew lock is like probably the worst quarterback in the nfl like yeah. in, in, in and i'm sorry i know you 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 want to you want him to be a thing maybe He's a the one bit. mizzou quarterback i've ever personally rooted for on the pros. i mean he that guy is miserable as a thrower yeah. he, he he seems like a great athlete and he's a good he, athlete he, he he showed that again remember against kansas city in week what was it week 18 last year where Probably. he 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 just busts out for two yeah. long touchdowns and he outruns yeah. everybody on the field i was like what is that this guy should be playing tight end but you know i i, I think well, we have a career move maybe <laughs> but yeah I, I i'll go with darnold i just feel like that is true. The football we've seen from Drew Locke is inarguably worse than the football we've seen from Sam Darnold. But I feel like there's definitely no next step for Sam Darnold to take. Whereas in theory, you could argue maybe there is for Drew Locke. But yeah, there's not. Um, there's not. And Not if you like head-to-head -head with Geno Smith right no, now. No, that's a really good like we we I, This was another show. We talked about it like for DK Metcalf and fantasy, we would prefer Geno oh, yeah. Smith because he ain't going to run them long touchdowns and he's, uh, and he's probably more accurate, man. That's pretty bleak, but uh, yeah, no, no, you don't want to be competing with Geno Smith in 2022. He, he's definitely, yeah. I mean, he's definitely more accurate. So in that week 18 game uh, against Kansas city, Drew Locke had, was minus nine percent in completion rate over expected as like in line with taylor heineke so even a good game was bad for him <laughs> yikes and i'll get through like this though he is better than like me at quarterback so i feel <laughs> that better than me he would be better he would be by far the best quarterback on this podcast today we think he's almost definitely can't say i would ever throw the ball directly to a linebacker like he loved to do at mizzou uh, where I would probably just crumple and take a sack before I did that. Um, but yeah, yeah he would be he would be the best quarterback on this podcast, Drew Locke. So Drew, we're all rooting for you up in Seattle. May I it sounds like some of you aren't actually. I am. I'm, I'm rooting, rooting for you up in Seattle, Drew. Best wishes. And that's all the time we have for today.
Good show. I feel very right. sweaty, as you should at the end of a podcast. I mean, you got the body heat going. You got the temperature going. I'm drenched. I'm drenched in sweat. I'm, I'm dripping. If you take Drew Locke over Sam Darnold, of course. That's <laughs> true. The sweating bullets. Um, yeah, people don't realize what a sweaty activity podcast. TMI podcasting is, by the way, but, uh, kind of a hot endeavor, especially when it's hotter than the surface of the sun in St. Louis, Missouri. I mean, look, look at, I'm, I'm shiny. Like I just worked out. Yeah, I made a really bad, it was not a good idea for me to do the podcast from an aircraft carrier in the middle of the Caribbean sea. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm just really hot. That is all the time we have uh, for today. Thank you so much for listening uh, for Denny Carter, for Lawrence Jackson. I'm Patrick Doherty. We'll be back later in the week with Mr. Matt Strout. And a variety of special guests, maybe including me. Um, thanks for listening. Catch you guys later. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.